Hello, everyone. This is another episode of the 40 Guard Labs French Intelligence Podcast. My name is Jonas, and once again, I have my good friend, Amar Lakhani, with me. And Amar, how are you doing today? Jonas, I'm living the dream. I'm living the dream, buddy. That's, uh, that's good to hear, my friend. We have another exciting topic for today because not too long ago, our department released the annual, the, the half annual Fred Landscape Report, where we talk about the key highlights of the last six months. And we had some interesting findings in here. Yeah, exactly. So every six months, we come out with a thread report uh, that usually gives us enough time to kind of figure out what the trends, uh, you know, what trends are happening. I know some like thread reports, sometimes they come out a little more frequently, but I think like sometimes you need a little more data just to see where the trends are going, because, you know, in cybersecurity, some of the major trends, you know, take a little bit to change, you know, like ransomware and ransomware is increasing. So, so we just don't want these like um, like highlights, I would say, we kind of want to get to know the details. And I think, uh, you know, every six months that uh, gives us about, you know, enough, uh, enough data flow, I would say to get a little more detail. Yeah, and talking about the data, we have some excellent sources where we get all this data from, right? We have millions of sensors all around the world, very well distributed amongst all the different regions and different sizes in companies. So whatever is out there, we pretty much have a good footprint about what's happening on the internet. And based on the telemetry data and the findings we were able to gather, we come up with some very interesting points, especially let's jump just straight in with, which I think one is still very important to mention is Log4j. We have been talking a bit quite a lot over the last six months, and I know a lot of people are probably sick of hearing about it, but even though it was a very big topic last December, we still see it as number one signature being triggered in the wild these days. Yeah, so first of all, I think you made a really good point is that we have millions of sensors all over the world. We have honeypots that we specifically have set up for research purposes. You know, we have uh, incident response teams, we have customers that are sharing information. So we have a lot of data coming in. And, uh, you know, making sense of this data, sometimes is pretty difficult. But the one thing that stood out which mean you kind of expected it to stand out anyways when it first happened was Log4j. Now Log4j, remember, is a library that's being used in multiple systems, multiple open source systems. A lot of those systems are all over the internet, publicly accessible. And uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes companies or organizations, they may have products or software, they don't even realize they may be using a library and that library may have a Log4j asset in it. So it's very, very difficult sometimes to uh, understand exactly how widespread this, uh, you know, attack would be. Uh, but it's it's an attack that's going to keep on giving. It's like the gift that keeps on giving to attackers because they can use this attack to gain initial access, to gain a foothold, and then they're on systems. They're uh, they're on a lot of systems. In fact, um, I remember just uh, reading there was a threat actor, was like a well-known threat actor, was like Muddy Waters, I believe is is the name of the threat actor. They may have some sort of affiliation to uh, Iran, and uh, and they are attacking you know other other countries or uh, you know using Log4j along with other threat actors as well. So it's one of those things that you know is it's going to cause a lot of problems for a lot of people. I think for a very long time, just because it's so hard for uh, you know people to really understand exactly how widespread it is from you know websites to iot devices to um you know uh, ot devices to banking devices and atm machines pretty much uh, a lot of things are going to have a uh, law 4j enabled in it 
Yeah, definitely. And also you talk about the threat actors abusing this vulnerability. It's not just the big cyber espionage groups and the APT groups, it's also the, the smaller guys, the, the people in the gaming industry, it's people um, it's like, it's like basic script kiddies. We see pretty much all the threat actors out there using the same vulnerability. And I think it really shows the difficulty with dealing with such a big vulnerability because it's not just something which the very sophisticated guys are actually using. It's pretty much the one thing which everyone who's in hacking these days is checking first because it's such a widespread vulnerability. There's a lot of public proof of concepts available on different kinds of websites. So it's, it's easy to start as well when you're um, starting with offensive security these days. Yeah, you know, you make a good point, first of all, that it's easy for a lot of people that, you know, if they're just going to want to test things, if they want to mess around, if they want to do a scan on the internet, there's so many resources out there that kind of show you how to do that, how to find log 4J vulnerable systems, and how, how to how to exploit them. And uh, so that's, that's a little scary. And as you said, it could be something as simple as Hey, someone like playing a video game and trying to get like extra lives or get a, get an advantage, right? So it could be something as simple as that to something as complicated as a sophisticated threat actor. It, it kind of makes me wonder if it's so easy for attackers to, you know, scan on the internet. Why aren't you know organizations scanning their own you know IP address spaces and uh, you know trying to secure this? And me and you know that internally that can be very very difficult, especially with uh, organizations that have uh, you know global offices, multiple locations, multiple uh, you know management structures. It can be very very difficult for an organization to catch all the instances. I agree, and just on top of that, one more thing to mention in my opinion, is it's not something which will go away anytime soon. So I would not be surprised if we release another report in six months that this will still be one of the most trending signatures. Because if we just look back over the last two and a half to three years, when we have seen the vulnerabilities which have been amongst the top, these were very often vulnerabilities from the last couple of years. So we still see on a daily basis these home routers being actively being hunted against. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if it stays quite a while there for all the way at the top until really the everyone is, is updating their systems and the software versions and it kind of runs out, but it will probably take a few years, I guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we've seen like, you know, uh, certain like Microsoft vulnerabilities in the past. We've seen, uh, you know, um, certain types of attacks, like, uh, you know, all the way down, you know, back back in the day to like SQL uh, Slammer and other types of attacks, you know, being at least attempted over and over again, like not necessarily successful, but definitely um, a long life from uh, from attempts. I remember uh, the famous, uh, uh, you know, remote access Trojan, the famous rat NJ, NJ rat. Uh, I've used it in a few demos and stuff, but it's, uh, you know, I remember seeing it on thread reports like years and years after it really wasn't useful anymore. And I think the reason for that is not only do we have this like time period where everyone's going to try it, but even when people start protecting themselves, you're still going to have a lot of hits and a lot of attempts against that because a lot of people are just used to trying that as a default against a package of, uh, you know, scans. So uh, we'll definitely definitely be seeing that on thread reports. I, at least I believe we will be for a very long time. Yeah, very likely. And I think the combination, once people were able to use this vulnerability to get access to certain environments, is still being followed up mainly by ransomware when it comes to financially motivated attacks. I mean, when we look at the data again over the last six months, we have seen the volume being 
still increasing a little bit. It has been 10x up over the last year, but over the last six months, the volume was still increasing after such a big spike. But what's even more concerning is that the amount of variance has been doubling. What does this mean to me to you when the variance itself is, is doubling such on a, such a high growth rate over just six months? Yeah, so I think, uh, first of all, it it means that that's a scary world out there. Uh, let's let's be honest. But when we see the variance doubling, uh, you know, on any type of attack, I think what it means is that people are definitely, you know, um, you know, manipulating that attack. They're uh, simulating that attack. Uh, they're, uh, you know, essentially growing that attack to see what else it can do. So we're we're getting this. Uh, period where we have this you know, like mutation happening in the attack where you know attackers are trying to figure out how to make it more successful uh usually by adding more sophistication and uh, more complexity to that attack and that that that's that's a little scary because now attackers are not only just scanning for an attack but they're actively thinking like hey how can i make this a better attack to make it more successful against my victims and I think it fits in very well when we look at the most common TTPs these days the number one tactic from threat actors these days is actually defense evasion techniques, which almost makes up 60% of all the tactics which we see. So this streamlines very well with the amount of variance we see because for attackers, it's really important to make sure their malware is not being caught by security layers. So them increasing the variance and making something a little bit different than defenders or having a information about it is quite important to them so they can stay under the radar can make sure their malware is not being detected and this will most likely lead to a successful attack yeah absolutely that's definitely definitely the goal and i think the hope of attackers and you you know you better believe they are not just putting those things in the wild that they're actually testing that they're testing that against organizations they're testing that against security devices uh maybe a little harder for some uh you know uh, attackers to do against all devices uh especially with some of the cost of enterprise security but you know they are definitely they're definitely trying they're trying hard and something else which is really trying hard these days has similarities to ransomware, but it's just much more aggressive. And we talk about the wipers here. So wipers have similar tendencies. So they encrypt pretty much your system and make it unusable for you on the defensive side. But instead of asking for money, the, the motivation is not really financially motivated. It's more often destructive purposes. So in that case, they pretty much shut down all your environments and they don't even care about negotiating with you whether you want to have your systems back or not. The whole purpose is destruction. And during the first six months of this year, not surprisingly, during the war between Russia and Ukraine, the whole wiper scene was tremendously shifting from what we have been seeing in the past. Yeah, so first of all, you know, I always, I always wonder, you know, when we say that it's not financially motivated, I wonder myself, like, is it really not financially motivated? I mean, someone's always making money someplace. It seems like on uh, you know, when uh, when someone else is hurt. So that's just uh, maybe maybe a personal thing. Uh, I won't go there. But you're you're right. Basically, it's not the traditional. Hey, I'm going to encrypt your files and I'm going to ask for money and you get your files back. It's more like 
I'm destroying your files once you get infected, and I don't care if I hear from you or not. And uh, that that you know leaves businesses and organizations in a very bad place. I think it actually leaves uh, some some threat actors in a bad place too, like threat actors that actually are motivated by financial reasons. They're 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 are now getting a little worried that their reputation may be on the line. They're like, hey, how how will people trust us to pay ransomware if you know they think they're not going to get their files back? So uh, I think it's going to cause a little bit of stir even in the underground and uh, community criminals against criminals. But um, it's something that I think is concerning because, uh, you know, there was always this hope that, uh, you know, you may get your files back or, you know, you know, you may be able to restore connectivity, especially in a very, very sensitive, uh, you know, organization like, uh, you know, where lives are dependent on network connectivity, like hospitals or, uh, you know, law enforcement or other places like that or connected utilities. Now there's the possibility, hey, you may be attacked and they're not really looking to help you get back up and running just because you pay money. They just want to for you. Yeah, and what's also concerning on top of that is that some of these malware samples, they end up on the internet and other people are reusing them for different kinds of attacks. So even though the initial purpose was maybe to shut down environments during the physical war, so they can help out bringing down these IT systems, which give them an advantage. Um, some of these samples are spreading outside the region, which we initially saw them being used quite frequently. Yeah, you know, some of these samples, you know, they just kind of leak out when, uh, you know, researchers are sharing them. And sometimes that just happens, you know, with immature researchers. Sometimes they just get, uh, you, you know, um, accidentally shared out by uh, victims that like, you know, may, may have gone infected and actually have gone the actual infector of the file. Uh, and other times it's, uh, it's just, uh, you know, the attackers themselves, they they are not really self-guarding that or they don't care about it if it gets out or not. And they've, uh, you know, accomplished their goals and, uh, you know, they don't care how much destruction it spreads, right? That it's, it is destructive malware. So they're like, hey, the more chaos, the better. Yeah, the, the more chaos, the better. That's uh, another good title for, for to, to summarize what, what happened over the last couple of months, for sure. Hey, but that, 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 that may be uh, the perfect title for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I actually uh, I like how you come up with this on the fly. It, uh, it's almost, uh, yeah, <laughs> not a bad one. Um, one more thing, Omar, before we wrap things up. Um, when we see the delivery, in the past, we have seen a lot of emails. We have seen a lot of um, HTML and JavaScript being um, used for delivery mechanism. And I think it's still the case, HTML and JavaScript is not surprisingly amongst the most popular ones since it's very often uh, independent from the underlying operating systems. But we do see many more attacks targeting Linux systems as well. What is your thought on this? You know, first of all, Linux is a enterprise tool. Uh, critical infrastructure, um, you know, is it, you know, it runs on Linux. So it's not surprising that we're seeing more malware on Linux. For anyone that's worked with Linux on, you know, for any number of years, uh, this is definitely not surprising to them, right? Uh, we've uh, we've seen it for uh, quite a few years. Uh, what we are seeing more and more of, like it used to be in the past, like when you got attacked by Linux malware, you kind of knew it was game over because uh, the malware authors were were also i would say 
had a little more sophistication than your script kiddies on uh, on Windows systems. They knew what they were doing, and that was a that was a little scary. They kind of knew how they were attacking you, and they probably did some research. But now we're starting to see, I would say, more mainstream Linux uh, malware that is uh, more kind of the uh, widespread wide net type malware, more of the script kitty type malware. And uh, you know, I think we're starting to see a lot more noise. And I'm I'm not surprised about that because we're seeing more and more systems that are using Linux that people may not know that they're using Linux, such as entertainment systems and cars, uh, IoT devices, uh, home media devices, your media servers, your even TVs and stuff. They're using Linux, maybe some form of Android as well, or uh, you know, Android running on Linux or something like that. So uh, you know, based on uh, uh, you know, based on uh, that kind of uh, you know widespread version of Linux, I'm not surprised we're seeing more and more Linux uh, type um, malware out there. Yeah, and the vast majority of these attacks are still crypto miners. So because there's so many systems out there which uh, run the operating system Linux, they want to take advantage of it. They want to run these crypto miners to use the resources from that specific system to make money for them, which is, uh, again, very often what we see when it comes to financially motivated attacks. Yeah, you know, you know crypto miners, it's... It's interesting, right? Because we're going from a world in crypto mining where uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the coins, right? They they were not, never really profitable, you know, uh, you know, using CPU, right? But uh, when when you when we infected dozens to hundreds to sometimes thousands of uh, you know machines and the crypto mining, those little pennies do had up. So the attackers don't care, right? And they, you know, they're like, let me run this forever. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll I'll run crypto mining, you know, software or malware on on these systems. But, uh, we are moving to like you know. Some of the more notable coins like especially ethereum going to proof of stake mining instead of proof of uh, work mining um if you don't know what that means basically it, you know you know to really simplify it it means like your cpu is not going to matter anymore uh but uh but there are other I would say other coins, alternate coins, you know, it'll probably take them a while before they move to proof of stake instead of proof of work, or, uh, you know, if ever at all, uh, they may be less profitable, less known, but there's always going to be, I think this, um, at least for the short term, I think there's going to be definitely motivation for people to, uh, you know, use CPU to mine, especially if it's stolen CPU or stolen hardware and power. And I think it's similar, like with DDoS attacks, if you have just one client infected, he won't be able to cause a lot of harm. Similar like with crypto, with crypto miners, he won't produce a lot of money for you, but it really is about the volume. And this is what we need to keep in mind from an attacker point of view. If they need a big amount of infected machines, they have a very high intention of, of getting access to a lot of different machines because for them, the more machines they have under their control, the more money they will make. So it's similar like with DDoS, the more, more compromised machines you have, the more power you get. And in this case, the more compromised machines you have, the more money you will make. So it's it's about volume, which means attackers are not going after individual systems. When they have a crypto mining strategy in mind, they're going after a big volume of machines, which uh, yeah means everyone is needs to be prepared. The power of clustering, right? And uh, that's, that's where they're getting the power of multiple systems working in tandem clustering systems. So um, very, uh, uh, very interesting. You, you know, there's a, there's a demo I used to do uh, where I used to just take a, uh, like a, a very simple, uh, like a mathematical problem. It essentially was a proof of work on a, uh, on a Raspberry Pi. And uh, I think I was using Raspberry Pi 4s. And then I kind of showed like, okay, it takes like 
you know, uh, you know, like five minutes or three minutes to solve this one problem on a Raspberry Pi. And then I stacked four of them together and, uh, you know, had the program rewritten where they were both like, you know, clustering, they were clustering that and it took like 30 seconds for it to solve. So that just shows you a little bit of the power of like clustering. And that's what these, uh, you know, attackers are counting on is they're like, yeah, you know what? I may make only a couple of pennies a day with one machine, but if I attack a thousand machines and that's going on for like, you know, each day and if i can like infect them for like you know 30 days 100 days uh, you know uh, a year like that's uh, you know a little bit of significant money and not only are they making that money they're counting on the appreciation of that cryptocurrency as well so uh, to them it's a win-win and we also need to be aware that every single one of these affected machines can very often be reused for different kind of purposes in the future so while they're being Absolutely. idle and not being used from a threat actor He's like, why not I use this for crypto mining in the meantime until they have a different purpose? So some people sometimes think, ah, oh, it's just crypto mining. It's not causing a lot of harm to my own machines, but we need to be aware that very often, first of all, it uses most of the resources of your computer, which means if you run it in one of these hyperscaler clouds, it costs you a lot of money because it pretty much runs all the time on a very high performance intensive, um, pretty, pretty, yeah, much pay, always pay, like that. yeah, you may pay per minute on some of these, uh, you know, high performance, uh, you know, cloud clusters. So yeah, very good point, uh, Jonas. So it's, it's running all the time. It could be running for other purposes. So just because it's running crypto mining this moment doesn't mean it's always going to be running that. It could be, uh, you know, running a lot worse software that you may be liable for. You're paying for it. You're destroying your hardware. You're destroying your pro productivity. Uh, these things are not, not just a, uh, I would say, a faceless crime, right? Uh, it's not like, oh, my computer's not doing anything and someone makes a couple of pennies that's not it. it it does go a little deeper as you said yeah definitely and i think there's so many more points which we could talk about and a lot of them are listed in our global threat landscape report so if any one of you want to have a deeper look at it please feel free to head over to fortinet.com and check out the report and then we hear us again soon for another exciting topic or more and it's always good talking to you buddy Thanks for being here and until next time.